Well, it's good to have this opportunity with you once again this evening and uh, to come together in fellowship and uh, singing and prayer and also the study of God's Word. And because it is a Sunday evening service, uh, when uh, Oliver asked if I would teach this service as well, I asked whether we could do something a little bit uh, uh, more instructional, and, and uh, he said that would be fine. And so what I'd like to do uh, this, uh, this evening is uh, look, at, look at Timothy uh, and look at his life from various scriptures. So th- this isn't going to be a verse-by-verse exposition of a text. It'll be more of a, a summary view, more of a historical or biographical view of someone that uh, we know very familiarly from the New Testament, Timothy, one of Paul's very close disciples. So this evening as we, uh, as, as we look into this, I, I want to look at Timothy from the standpoint of discipleship. Timothy is, of course, known very well as that very dear, beloved son, uh, son in the faith to the Apostle Paul. And so I want to look at Timothy, and I want to draw from his life some lessons about discipleship. And we, we, we talk about discipleship quite a bit in the context of the church, uh, what discipleship should be, what it should look like. And so as we look at Timothy, I want us to draw four lessons in particular this evening, four lessons about discipleship as it relates to us, this lessons taken from this, this very well-known New Testament saint, uh, Timothy. And these are the four lessons that I want to, uh, to, to look at from Timothy's life this evening. First of all, Timothy, a student of the Word of God, that, as we're going to see, is really critical for true discipleship. It begins uh, with the Word of God. Secondly, Timothy, a blessing uh, to his local church. Thirdly, uh, Timothy as one who is a follower of his mentor's instructions. And then number four, Timothy is a partner in a common cause. So we're going to look at the New Testament teaching, the book of Acts and Paul's letters, Paul's descriptions concerning Timothy. And from all of these descriptions we have about Timothy, draw these four lines out and say, look, if we want to be a disciple, uh, if we want to be one who is truly a learner, and then as we want to be disciple makers, these are four fundamental qualities that we need to see in this process of discipleship and disciple making. Again, the four Lessons we'll draw from Timothy's life are these. He he was a student of the word of God. Secondly, he was a blessing to his local church. Number three, he was a follower of his mentor's instruction. And then number four, he became a partner in a common cause. Now, before we get into each of those four lessons drawn from Timothy's life, let's look a little bit about the background to Timothy and where Timothy arises in the historical plan of, of the New Testament. And we first read of Timothy directly in Acts chapter 16. And we read these words written by Luke, who wrote this, uh, making this first reference, historically speaking, or, or chronologically speaking, of Timothy. And in Acts 16, verses 1 to 3, we read these words. Acts 16, 1 to 3. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple 
was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he, that is Timothy, was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Timothy is first mentioned in Acts 16, verse 1, and it's interesting to note that the first, the very first description of Timothy is that he was a disciple. He was a disciple. If we were to look back at, at that text, we read that a disciple was there named Timothy. And that emphasizes the, the fact that that the first description that even the, the historian Luke comes up with when Timothy enters his, his chronology is that this man was a, a paradigm of, of a disciple. He was a model disciple. And, and we're going to see in, a, in just a few moments that, that Luke even places special emphasis in this introduction of Timothy and on this description as being a disciple. He's mentioned as one who belongs to the church at Lystra. And so if you look at the, the map there, you can see that Lystra is, is to, the, to the south of central modern-day Turkey. It was part of a Roman province that was named Galatia. Uh, and we also read there that, that Timothy was the son of a mixed marriage. Timothy was the son of a Greek father... So his father was a Gentile and a Jewish mother. Now, according to Jewish tradition, if you had a Jewish mother uh, and a Greek father, you were still considered a Jew because that's how the Jewish lineage would would continue on through the mothers. So even though uh, Timothy's dad was a Gentile, he was still considered to be a, a Jew. But we know from this this context there in Acts 16, that even though he was a Jew, he wasn't circumcised. Now, according to Jewish law, any Jewish son had to be circumcised if they're following the law on the eighth day after birth. And if they weren't, they were already breaking the law. They were missing out on a very key component of the covenant, the, the, Old, Testament, the, the, the Old Testament covenant. And we read that Timothy, as a young man, still wasn't circumcised. So that suggests to us that, at best, Timothy's father was only mildly interested in Judaism, but not committed. The Gentiles hated the concept of circumcision. And so we can read from this text that, that Timothy's dad simply prohibited it. And, and at best, he was maybe mildly sympathetic to Judaism. Or at worst, it could very well be that that uh, Timothy's father was a polytheistic, pagan Gentile. Now, we read in that context that Timothy is specifically singled out by Paul there in Acts 16. And Acts 16 marks the beginning of the second missionary journey, which started around the year AD 50, maybe the late part of AD 49. But we can be pretty confident it was around this time. And and Timothy was, was selected not to replace Barnabas. Remember that after the first missionary journey, there was a falling out between Paul and Barnabas. And they go different ways. 
Barnabas is replaced by Silas. We read that at the end of Acts 15. So how does Timothy factor into this missionary team? Well, Timothy is brought on, much like you remember John, who is also called Mark, began the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. Now, Timothy joins Paul and Silas, and Timothy would serve as an assistant to these two preachers, Paul and Silas. And we know that if we would look at the whole ministry of the Apostle Paul, we would read that of all the members of Paul's circle who come and join his ministry at various times throughout Paul's ministry from his missionary journeys from around the the mid-40s AD to the mid-60s, 20 years of length of ministry, of evangelistic ministry from Paul, we can tell this, that there is none with whom he formed such a close mutual attachment as with Timothy. Or as one writer said, one more quote here, the, their association, that is between Paul and Timothy, was longer and more continuous than that of any of the other companions of Paul, with the possible exception of Luke. Of all his associates, none seems to have been so dear to Paul as Timothy. That's Timothy, this disciple that is there in Lystra that Paul picks up on his, at the start of his second missionary journey. Now, with that said, let's begin looking at each of these first, uh, the, the, the lessons that we can learn from Timothy as a disciple, and more in particular as a paradigm for discipleship. First of all, the first lesson of, is this, Timothy himself was a disciple because he already was a student of the word of God. This is where discipleship begins. It's where the Christian life begins. You cannot have the Christian life apart from the gospel. And that's another way of saying you cannot have the Christian life apart from the scriptures. It's in the scriptures that we learn of the gospel. It's in the scriptures that we learn of the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in the scriptures that we learn about the Christian life and God's will for us as as believers, in fact, that's even communicated and insinuated in the Great Commission when Jesus says to his apostles, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And that everything that Jesus has commanded has or is synonymous with what we would call today the New Testament Scripture. So it begins with the Word of God, and that's what we see with Timothy. It began with the Word of God. And this comes out uh, a little bit later in Paul's writings, where he writes to Timothy that very last letter. And he, and he writes about Timothy's early childhood, even before Paul met Timothy. Something else was already operating in Timothy's life to prepare him to be such a good disciple. And it's a reference to his upbringing in the home. And we read this, for example, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. For I am mindful, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, And I am sure that it is in you as well. 
And it's a reference here to the fact that Eunice, his mother, and Lois's grandmother were Jewesses. So they were Jewish, and they had the, 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 the Old Testament scriptures. And they were these, these the, the mother and the, the grandmother to Timothy were waiting for the Messiah. They were part of the remnant of Israel, that faithful remnant that was waiting for the Messiah of Israel. And even though Timothy's dad was a Gentile, his mother and grandmother were faithfully communicating to Timothy the hope that Israel had in the coming of a Messiah. And we even read of that in 2 Timothy 3 verse 15, a few chapters later, where Paul says to Timothy, again, pointing to the scriptures, he says this, That from your childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So Lois and Eunice were both devout Jews and had raised Timothy in accordance with the great Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one Lord. And goes on from there to talk about how the, the, the law would be taught in the household. That you were to write it on your doorposts. And it was to be the topic of conversation among children. And this is what Timothy received from his mother and his grandmother. The teachings of the Old Testament scriptures. And they undoubtedly had a role in giving him even the name Timothy. Which is a Jewish name which means honoring God. An appropriate name for anyone raised on the scriptures. So this is where it began for Timothy, even before Paul met him. It began with the scriptures, and this is what makes the foundation for all true discipleship. And you may talk about being a disciple of someone else, perhaps, in some kind of mentor relationship, or you may talk about wanting to disciple others, but understand this, if the scriptures are absent, there is no true discipleship. If the scriptures are not central to what is being discussed and, and what, is, uh, what is being used in, in questions and what is being used in terms of goals and so on and so forth. If the scriptures are absent, there is no true discipleship. It begins at that point. And A.T. Robertson said this, it is impossible to overestimate the value of teaching children the Bible. One reason why people know so little about the scriptures, and he's talking about adults, one reason why adults know so little about the scriptures is that they do not learn the Bible in childhood. And so just an exhortation here, especially to parents, that discipleship even begins in the home as you talk about the importance of scripture and how the children need to form and fashion their thinking, not according to the world's values system, but according to that which has been revealed in Scripture. And that's what happened with Timothy. Now, just a few other questions that relate to this, which is interesting to consider in in terms of Timothy's life. One of those is these. When did Timothy come to believe that Jesus was the actual Messiah, the one promised in the Hebrew Scriptures? See, what would have happened would have been something like this. That Lois and Eunice, as they raised this young boy in the home, even with a Gentile dad, 
they hadn't necessarily heard that the promises of the Old Testament had been fulfilled in the historical person of Jesus. They had just heard and read from the scriptures that there was coming an anointed one. The promised, the prophesied Messiah. And they instilled that hope, that expectation in Timothy to be one looking forward to the fulfillment of these Old Testament promises. And so when was it that Timothy actually came to believe that those promises had been fulfilled in a certain historical person who lived a historical life in the land of Israel, a a historical person named Jesus? Well, that would have actually happened when Paul brought the name Jesus and the preaching about Jesus on the first missionary journey. Now, Remember, Timothy is connected to the city of Lystra. Remember, we read that in Acts 16. That when Paul passed through Lystra, there was a disciple there. His name was Timothy. Now, Paul had previously been in Lystra before. And that was on Paul's first missionary journey. You might remember that from Acts chapter 13 and 14. When Paul embarks with Barnabas... And at the beginning part with Mark as well. And they first go to the island of Cyprus being sent out from Antioch in in modern day Syria. Sent out and they go through Cyprus, the the island of Cyprus. And they head up north into what is modern day Turkey, into the heart of modern day Turkey. And they evangelize in the cities of Antioch, in Iconium, Lystra and Derbe. Those were the cities evangelized on the first missionary journey. And after Paul preaches there, establishes churches, he he retraces his steps and then leaves Galatia and returns uh, back to Antioch. And then goes to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 and goes back to Antioch. And then in Acts 16, which we read from before, he heads back a second time to that, that area of Galatia. That is comprised of those cities. And when Paul was there the first time, Acts 13 and 14, when he was there the first time, that's when he brought to these cities the message that behold, the promises of the Old Testament had been fulfilled and the fulfillment of those promises is found in the historical person of Jesus. We don't have time to, to look there, but if you would look at Acts 13 and 14, you'd have this record of Jesus go, or of Paul going to these cities and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the one who redeems and rescues us from sin. So Timothy, this young man, having been, been raised in the context of the scriptures of the Old Testament only, being told by his mother and grandmother, the Messiah is going to come. And Timothy had this faith, like his mother and grandmother, that God would fulfill his promise. But he didn't know when or in whom. And then Paul was the one who later on came and said, this one that you're expecting, he's come. His name is Jesus. He is the fulfillment. And Timothy uh, Timothy uh, believes that. Now, you might ask the question, well, how do we know that Timothy believed it from Paul's mouth? 
How do we know that Paul was the one to announce to Timothy that Jesus was the fulfillment? How do we know that? Well, very interesting situation. Now, Luke doesn't describe this association directly. He only describes it indirectly. Notice for just a moment, Acts chapter 14. You you remember this. In Acts chapter 14, in verses 19 to 20, Paul is in the city of Lystra. Paul is in the city of Lystra. The first time. And we read these words. The Jews came down from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the words, or the crowds, I should say, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Remember that account in Acts 13? First missionary journey. Paul is there in Galatia, in the city of Lystra. He's preaching that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. And Jews who didn't accept that come down, stir up the crowds, and they stone Paul and leave him for dead. But notice what comes next in verse 20. And while the disciples stood around him, Paul got up, entered the city, and the next day he went with Barnabas to Derbe. Now that's all that Luke says. It's almost as if this is just an incidental note. Paul almost died. In fact, they thought he did. This is quite an amazing event. He gets up and he goes on to the next city. And all Luke mentions is there were some disciples there. Who they were, Luke doesn't say. He only mentions Timothy a couple chapters later. Acts 16, we read from it already. When Paul got to Lystra the second time, behold, there was a disciple there named Timothy. But Timothy was in this crowd already. Luke doesn't refer to him yet. But Timothy is there. How do we know that? There's a very interesting text in 2 Timothy 3 verse 10 to 11. As Paul writes at the end of his life, he writes to Timothy. And he's reflecting. Paul is reflecting on Timothy's early childhood. Paul is reflecting on the fact that Timothy had heard of the promises of the Messiah through his mother And his grandmother. But Paul also reflects upon the time when they first met. This time when Paul is stoned. Notice what he says. He says, you have followed my teaching. Conduct. Purpose. Faith. Patience. Love. Perseverance. Persecutions. And sufferings. Such as what happened to me at Antioch. And Iconium. And at Lystra. What persecutions I endured and out of all of them the Lord rescued me. There in that text that Paul writes at the end of his life. Acts, or in 2 Timothy. He writes to Timothy. He says, remember. Remember how you met me the first time. Remember how you saw my sufferings. Remember what happened to me in these cities. Particularly in Lystra. How I endured them and how the Lord rescued me. So that would have been the first association that Paul and Timothy had with each other. Timothy was one grounded in the scriptures, raised in the scriptures, anticipating a Messiah. But it was Paul who was the one who brought him the name Jesus and told him that these promises had been fulfilled. And it was 
Timothy, who would have been the one who would have seen Paul's stone there in Lystra, in his home city, left for dead. And that must have had a tremendous impact on Timothy. In fact, one commentator, I think, summarizes it well when we read this. The spectacle of such innocent suffering of Paul and undaunted courage made a lasting impression upon the mind of young Timothy. In connection with these noble virtues, Timothy first came to know Paul as a messenger of the cross. This is where it begins. When when discipleship begins is with the scriptures and with the knowledge of Jesus and the knowledge of the revelation of God. And Timothy saw this very starkly. He heard it first from his mother and grandmother. And then he heard the apostolic preaching through Paul demonstrated very vividly in Paul's own life. It begins there. Any good disciple, any real disciple begins as a student of the word of God. Secondly, if we talk about discipleship and what discipleship means, uh, who we are to be as disciples and how we are to be involved in making disciples, it not only begins with the scriptures and being students of scripture, no discipleship apart from that. But secondly, it means being a blessing to the local church. There's a lot of discipleship that supposedly happens today that has nothing to do with the church. I remember for a while, I was uh, in my college days, I was a volunteer uh, with a, uh, a, a, a ministry that worked on a university campus. And uh, once a week, I would go and spend several hours in a different university campus uh, in the city of Winnipeg and uh, work with this ministry in trying to evangelize university students. And, and we would have our questionnaire that we'd start off with and try and share the gospel with various university students, students there on campus. And I only lasted uh, about a year because of the frustration that grew within me that this ministry had nothing to do with any specific local churches. I would ask the leadership, okay, when I present the gospel, if they respond, where do I point them? And they, all they would say is, just point them to our next gathering there on the university, cam- university campus. And I would say, no, 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 I mean a church. I, we need to get them into a local church. And they said, sorry, we can't recommend any local church. That's not our job. And I would ask, well, what about discipleship? And they would say, well, the discipleship can take place there on the university campus. And there are a lot of ministries that work like that today. But it's contrary to the pattern, the paradigm that we have in the scriptures. And it's contrary to what we even see with Timothy. Timothy grew as a disciple because he was part of a local church. And and this is affirmed by the local church. Again, look at this text in Acts chapter 16, verse 1 to 3. The text with which we started this evening. Notice how they describe, how Luke describes Timothy. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. I get this. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Now, what we see there is this. We see he's described as a disciple, but he's, he's then described further as being well spoken of by the brethren. And when we come across that term, the brethren, that's not just some indiscriminate group of Christians. That's a reference to the local fellowship. 
It's a reference to the local churches there in both Iconium and in Lystra. And Timothy was one who, who was known as a disciple because of his testimony within the context of the local church. That's where he grew. That's where his testimony was developed. And that's who ultimately could give him his affirmation. It was the, the local church. And Timothy attracted Paul's attention, not just because he was some lone ranger doing some kind of individual work somewhere in, in, in God's kingdom, No, he attracted Paul's attention specifically because of the church's affirmation of Timothy. And that's another important lesson for us to learn. That if we want to talk about discipleship, and hopefully you do, number one, that can't can't take place apart from being founded in the scriptures. Being rooted in the scriptures. But secondly, discipleship always has to be connected to, to the local church. And we see that with the example of Timothy. As soon as he had, had professed faith in Jesus as the promised Messiah, he was incorporated into the body of local believers there. That, that, that church that Paul and Barnabas planted in Lystra. And that's where he grew. That's where he sprouted. That's where he developed as a disciple. And that's what we must remember too. The discipleship does not take place outside the church. It takes place within the church. Now, as part of this discipleship, you probably are wondering about something here that's mentioned in the text, which is interesting. It says that Paul had Timothy circumcised. Now, that's an interesting note that Luke makes here, especially in in light of the fact of the chapter that just comes before Acts 16, Acts 15, all right? And and, and you probably remember what's in Acts 15. 15, we read that the Jerusalem council is assembled in Acts 15, the first church council that draws together representatives from various local churches and the apostles, the elders for a big gathering in Jerusalem. And it was all instigated by the fact that there were some Jewish believers who are saying that if any Gentiles would enter the church of Jesus Christ, those Gentiles had to be circumcised. And Paul and Barnabas vehemently oppose that idea that Gentiles needed to be circumcised, that Gentiles needed to become Jews if they were to be true followers of Jesus Christ. And Acts 15 is dedicated to that whole issue where in that council it is decided that, that no, they don't. There is no need to become a Jew in order to become a follower of Jesus, the Messiah. That there's no need for, for circumcision or any aspects of the old covenant law to be followed for a Gentile to place faith in Jesus Christ and become a follower, and more than that, to become part of the universal church. No need for circumcision. That's the big conclusion of Acts 15, and Paul will even discuss that in Galatians chapter 2, where he takes a different Gentile, uh, Titus, brings him actually there to Jerusalem, to that council, 
as a specimen of Gentile faith in Jesus and, and, and makes him an illustration and says, do we need to circumcise him or not? What do you say? And, and they discuss it, and in the end they say, no, Titus does not need to be circumcised. And that was a wonderful victory for the church. But why does Paul have Timothy circumcised? This is after Acts 15. Why does Paul have Timothy circumcised? Just an interesting observation to make. And the answer is this. Timothy was not circumcised to become a disciple. He already was. Timothy was not circumcised to become a member of the church there in Lystra. He already was. Timothy was circumcised for a different purpose. He was circumcised in order to remove an obstacle for preaching the gospel to the Jews. One writer writes this, Timothy was not a Gentile Christian in the same sense that Titus was. By birth, as the son of a Jewish mother, and by religious upbringing, Timothy was a Jew in all respects, save the admittedly material one of circumcision. To the Gentiles around, he was probably a Jew, but he could not be so in the eyes of Jews unless he received circumcision. Timothy already was considered to be a believer, a member of the church, a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was circumcised not to become one of those, but because... Paul wanted to remove any obstacles to the spread of the gospel, especially among Jews. And we read this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20. To the Jews, I become as a Jew so that I might win the Jews. And we know that Paul, whenever you'd go from city to city, where was the first preaching point? Where was it? It was in the synagogue. Because it was there in the synagogue where Jews and even Gentile God-fears would gather those who had heard about the Old Testament scriptures and the promises of a Messiah. And if the city had a synagogue, Paul would go there first and he would preach that Jesus was the fulfillment of these promises, that God had fulfilled his word and the, the, the fulfillment is in the person of Jesus. But Timothy, in that context, if he had not been circumcised, could never enter the synagogue because he was considered to be somewhat of a traitor. But as an adult male, even after he left the auspices or the oversight of his father, still was not circumcised. The Jews wouldn't listen to him. So Paul, out of, out of deference to the Jews, in order to create more evangelistic opportunities, had Timothy circumcised for that reason, not to become a disciple, not to become a member of the church, just to become a better evangelist. Now, one other question that is often raised with this, as Paul then picks up Timothy because he's the student of Scripture, he's this member of the local church, he's a blessing to them, the church affirms this good testimony. The question is, how old was Timothy? How old do you think? Timothy was when Paul picks him up at the beginning of his second missionary journey there in Lystra in Acts 16. Yeah, he was a young guy. Now, it's difficult to tell for sure. We have to look at various Greek words used to describe Timothy at various places in in Luke's writing or in, in Paul's writing. 
But the youngest that we could tell would be this. Paul or, or Timothy could have been as young as 17 years old. That's probably on the younger side or maybe as old as 27 when he would be brought on to Paul's missionary team. But he's probably the younger in that range, in that 10-year range, probably around the, the age of 20. And that just raises the question today, especially with respect to the local church. Can you imagine being a blessing to the local church? Timothy was already blessing the local church at around the age of 20. And it, it makes me ask the question, especially of young males today who are in the church. If Paul came around here in, in our day and was looking for a, an assistant, would he find among the young men at the age of 20 someone who would already have this reputation as being a student of Scripture and a blessing to his local church? Sadly, in our day, more and more young men are putting off maturity until their 30s and 40s. Where here was a young man already around the age of 20 who Paul recognizes as a mature, dependable, reliable assistant. Now, let's move to the next lesson here. The next one. He was a follower of his mentor's instruction. So he was a student of scripture, a blessing to his local church. This is what discipleship is like. Third one, he was a follower of his mentor's instruction. Now, this seems kind of axiomatic, right? That as a disciple, what do you do? You listen to your teacher. That's what a disciple, a learner is. Someone who learns from his teacher. And that's what Timothy was. But not everybody is like that. And we talk about discipleship today. One, one thing that I find, especially because I, I work with men, it, it's my responsibility as an elder at Christ Community Church uh, to, to uh, lead the men's ministry. And so I interact with a lot of different men. And one of the most saddening things that I deal with is when young men in particular, but men in general, are struggling with different things in their lives. And they want to meet to talk about growth. And so they'll even say, well, you disciple me. And I'll say, okay, well, let's start meeting. Let's see how this goes. And you'll give them instructions. You will give them counsel. And you'll find out only within a short amount of time that they only really just want a bunch of different opinions. And they'll look for people to tell them different things until they find what they want to hear. So what happened to the discipleship relationship? There's no discipleship there. You're just fishing. You're just looking for something you want to hear. But that's not Timothy. When we look at Timothy as a paradigm for discipleship, he implemented, he applied that which his mature discipler instructed him with. And that's what's so important as well for us. If we're in any kind of discipleship relationship and we're asking people to invest in our lives, one of the things we have to do is apply what they say. Yes, we always have to do so searching the scriptures. And your name, the church's name is certainly appropriate here. Bereans, right? You have to search the scriptures to see whether your mentor's instruction is consistent with the word of God. Yes. But when you have done that, and that mentor's instruction is consistent with the word of God, you now have an obligation to apply to follow the counsel given to you by your mentor. Now, again, the struggle in today's society is that 
we don't necessarily like that idea of being told what to do, right? We're our own, we, we handle our own fate, you know, don't, don't oppress me by having any kind of authority over me. And so you, you have this kind of work itself out and people, even in the church, people who are impacted by today's society, that you don't need to tell me what to do. I've got my own set of values. I know I need to somewhat counsel with people, but don't tell me what to do. That's not true discipleship. Discipleship is applying the godly biblical instruction that you are given. And we note this, Paul's reference to Timothy as his son or as his child reflect this. It reflects the fact, number one, when Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith, reflects the fact that Paul was indeed the one to tell him about Jesus. But it also shows us that Timothy was fervently devoted to Paul's ongoing instructions. That's why Paul called him a son in the faith. Timothy didn't just hear the words of Jesus from him and say, okay, I believe, but now after, I'm not going to necessarily listen to what you have to say. No, Timothy was fervently devoted to Paul's ongoing instructions. And and you see this even in Paul's later life, when he writes to Timothy, who now is already pastoring in Ephesus, Paul calls him, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 2, Paul calls him my true child in the faith. It's a reference to Timothy's application of Paul's instruction. 1 Timothy 1 verse 18, Timothy my son. 2 Timothy 1 verse 2, to Timothy my beloved son. 2 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 2, you therefore my son. And, And Paul calls them this because Timothy is that paradigm of applying the instructions, the teaching, the counsel of his mentor. And that is not just some special Reference. That's what we must apply in our own lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, This reason, for this reason, I've sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. One commentator says, Timothy was a faithful follower of his spiritual father. Capable of revealing the Father's ways to his Corinthian brothers. He stood in such a close relationship to Paul that he had become thoroughly permeated with his spirit, with his spirit and his teachings. Timothy was such a disciple that Paul could then entrust to him the responsibility of representing him even to others. And that's what discipleship should be like. If there is a good discipleship relationship and you faithful mature members are investing in lesser mature people in the church, those people will, if they're being good disciples, will apply that that teaching in their own lives to such an extent that they will even be able to pass on to others the very things that you have invested in. In their lives. That's what discipleship is like. And we could look at other texts of scripture that emphasize this as as Paul's expectation in Timothy. That Timothy was going to listen to Paul. You could look at 1 Timothy 4, 13 to 16. Paul gives him all this instruction. You could look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, 20 to 21 where Paul says, Guard what has been entrusted to you. There's this expectation that Paul has, and it's a good one, that Timothy, I have labored to invest in you. Timothy, you have a responsibility to guard that. 
And that's what happens in good discipleship relationships. The older saints will say to the younger ones, guard the counsel that I've given to you. Guard it. So we see that all the affection which a father could feel for a like-minded son, Paul felt for Timothy. And in return, he received from Timothy all the service and devotion which a son could give to his father. Let's look at the the fourth lesson here of discipleship. It starts with being a student of Scripture. We saw that in Timothy's life. He was a student of Scripture. That's essential, non-negotiable for any true disciple. Secondly, that, that disciple became a blessing to his local church. Any true disciple, if he's a disciple, is going to be applying the Scriptures, going to be applying counsel, and he will become a blessing to the local church. And we see that with Timothy as well. Thirdly, we saw that Timothy is this paradigm. He was faithful in applying his mentor's instruction. He shows us what it means to be mentored. To be discipled, you listen, you apply. Yes, you check it with scripture, but where it's faithful to scripture, you apply it, you do what you're counseled to do. And then fourth, the fourth lesson is this. Timothy became a partner in a common cause. You see, it doesn't just end with learning. It doesn't just end with receiving and applying. It ends with becoming then a partner in the grander scheme of discipleship and edification. And we see that so beautifully portrayed in Timothy's life. And, and for example, we, we see this, that, that Timothy wholeheartedly embraced the same cause as Paul in, in these things. Just quickly, we, we see how Timothy became a partner. He rose to the level of, of this fellow worker in that Paul delegated ministry duties to Timothy. So, After Paul had invested so much with Timothy, he was able then to say to Timothy, Timothy, now you've got to go and do these things. Uh, You've got to be involved in ministry. You've got to go and help others. And we see that that's what Timothy did. He became a delegate for the Apostle Paul. And we could look at some scriptures. You can look at these later. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 6, Paul talks about sending Timothy to the Thessalonians. Paul could not go to Thessalonica in that circumstance. He sends Timothy to do his work. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17, Paul could not get to Corinth, so he sends Timothy. Timothy was this partner, and so Paul could delegate ministry duties to him. And then Philippians 2, verse, 9, 2, verse 19, he sends Timothy to Philippi. Timothy became a faithful follower to the extent that Paul could delegate ministry to him. Secondly, we see Timothy's rise to this level of a co-worker, a a common partner with Paul, in that Paul would identify himself with Timothy in his letters. And this is fascinating. The, The amount of times that Paul will identify himself with Timothy far exceeds Paul's identification with other men. So in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 1, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 1, Philippians 1 verse 1, Colossians 1 verse 1 and 2, Philemon verse 1, we read this over and over. Paul writes to these various recipients, these churches and individuals, and he'll say, Paul and Timothy. 
Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy. And he says it over and over again to show that Timothy is no longer just a disciple. But he now rises to the level of a common partner. And Paul has no shame in saying, I am writing together with Timothy. Number three, we see it in Paul's description of Timothy to others. So as Paul describes Timothy in more greater detail to others, we see that Timothy had risen to the level of a partner, not just a discipler, not just a student, but a partner. Consider some of these descriptions. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. This was just a few years after Paul first preached to Timothy and after Timothy joined Paul's missionary team. Paul says this, he describes Timothy in these words. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker. Paul had a high view already of Timothy because Timothy was such a good disciple. Paul now viewed him as a fellow worker. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10 to 11, he says of Timothy, he is doing the Lord's work as I am also. He puts Timothy up there and says, Timothy's doing the Lord's work, and you know what? I'm, I'm right up there with Timothy. He had no, no hesitation describing Timothy in that way. Romans 16, verse 21, Timothy, my fellow Worker, or this description, which is so beautiful in Philippians chapter 2, 19 to 24. In that context, Paul says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Paul looked across his various ministry associates and said, You know what? There's someone special. His name's Timothy. And he's learned from me so well that there's no one like him who will have the same kind of pastoral care for others as I do. That's a good disciple. The disciple who becomes like his mentor to such a degree that they become co-workers together, able to, to delegate ministry responsibilities to each other and able to function really at the same level and do the same kind of ministry. And fourth, we see it even in Paul's handing of the baton to Timothy. As, as ministry goes on, Paul talks about guarding, or Timothy guarding what has been entrusted. And then in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, Paul says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, now you, Timothy, you in trust to other faithful men. Timothy, you do what I've been doing to you and for you and with you. Now you take the baton and you do exactly the same thing with others. You make them students of scripture. You teach them how to be a blessing in their local church. You then partner with them in the common cause and then eventually you, you, you show them that, that partnership that exists and delegate to them. 2 Timothy 4, 1-5, Paul now gives his final words and says, Timothy, I charge you, you preach the word. And at the end of his life, Paul summons Timothy. And this is interesting. As Paul describes what happens to him at the end of his life, he's in prison awaiting the the actual carrying out of the sentence that had been pronounced upon him, the sentence of death. 
And Paul's there. He knows the end is, is near. And he, he says to Timothy at the end in 2 Timothy 4, 9 to 13, he says, Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him, for he is useful to me. And when you come, bring the cloak, which I left at Troas, and the books. Bring the books, and especially the parchments. Timothy had become this very, very dear friend to Paul. So Paul says, I want you by my side, Timothy, as my life draws to an end. Timothy was true blue, and he gave Paul the best that was in him. He was faithful when others flickered. Paul could count on Timothy to the limit. He could trust him anywhere and all the time. That is loyalty. And loyalty is probably the fundamental trait in character. And I would say this in discipleship. Timothy would stand true when others had deserted. Now, just a quick question here. Did Timothy guard what had been entrusted to him? Yes. According to church history, Timothy was martyred for preaching the gospel. He followed truly in his mentor's footsteps. We know that Paul was beheaded in Rome, shortly after the writing of 2 Timothy. And sometime later, we don't know exactly the time, but according to early church history, Timothy also, like his mentor, was martyred for the preaching of the gospel. Now, in conclusion, here are these lessons. Here are these lessons. He was a student of the word of God. He was a blessing to his local church. He was a follower of his mentor's instruction, and he was a partner in a common cause. This is what it means to be a disciple, and this is what you aim for in being a discipler, one who will engage in the making of disciples, something which we all are called to do in one way or another. And my final and closing exhortation would be this. Do you fit into this paradigm Is this what you're after, both in terms of your own life as a student, as a disciple, someone who is being mentored and developed and and led by your elders here, by your pastors? Do you fit into this paradigm? And as a discipler of others, someone who is engaged in influencing other Christians, those who are less mature than you, are you, are, are, do you fit in what you're doing? Do you fit into this paradigm? If you're outside of it, are you a true discipler? And I would say no. Timothy has given us a paradigm. This is what we're called to be and this is what we're called to do. And let's pray to the Lord that this would be the case. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is an amazing word that doesn't just give commands and instructions, but it gives examples and illustrations. We thank you for the example of Timothy, Paul's disciple.
We thank you for the details about his life that are, that, that are given to us, that allow us in our own situations and circumstances to say, am I like Timothy? Would I do what Timothy did? And would I become what Timothy became? I pray, Father, that as we've studied Timothy's life, these details, and there are no details here which are in vain or purposeless, I pray that these lessons would permeate our lives and that we as disciples and disciple makers would manifest these four lessons in, in, in everything that we do related to ministry. Make this church a church of disciples and disciple makers that live out these lessons on a daily basis. And I ask this for the good of your people and for the glory of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.